Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Call for the weeping mothers, the lost fathers, and the forsaken children, and let them come quickly. For a voice of crying is heard out of Zion, for we are greatly confused. But death has come into our ghettos to cut off the young men and women from the streets of Philadelphia, New York, L.A., Georgia, Ohio, Florida, Mississippi, and throughout America, South America, the Caribbean islands, Africa, Asia, and all over the world. So return unto me, thus saith Yah. And I will return it to you, oh my people. Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, New Media, 
for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people can turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot, Brother Reggie, and Brother Ralph. The number to reach us to join the conversation is 215-253-7263. That's 215-253-7263. The listen-only line, if you don't have computer access or access to a smartphone, is 559-726-1300. That's 559-726-1300. And the access code is 9585. Nine zero, and the pound sign. That's nine five eight five nine zero, and pound. We're streaming live. If you have a smartphone, just uh, download the TuneIn app. If you don't have it already on your phone, go to the search engine in the TuneIn app and type in "Time for an Awakening." There you'll see the icon, and you can listen live. Uh, you can do that also from your computer, or you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and hit the green button to listen live drop us an email at time for an awakening at gmail.com that's time for an awakening at gmail.com Russell streaming on Facebook just go to Facebook and uh, type in time for an awakening in the search engine and there you always see interesting content being posted daily by Brother Edge. And before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's time for an awakening radio program streaming live on Facebook. Tonight, uh, we're scheduled to be joined by a special guest, historian, educator, political scientist, and pan-Africanist, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. is scheduled to join us in conversation. We'll discuss the system of white supremacies, intellectual, cultural, and economic warfare against our people and the battle for our people to restore an African mind. We'll uh, get things started with the program after a brief break from our sponsors. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies, Everybody is here. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowner's insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 
215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening. Sundays, 7 p.m., with your hosts, Elliot and Reggie. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. And uh, Before we get started this evening, I uh, have an announcement. I'll uh, check with Brother Reggie also to see whether he has a couple. On uh, at Deliverance Evangelistic Church. On uh, Saturday, October the 4th, 2014, from 9 to 3 p.m., the Black Farmers will be at Deliverance Evangelistic Church again, uh, 2000, and, uh, 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 excuse me, 2001 West Lehigh Avenue in Philadelphia. That's 2001 West Lehigh Avenue, Philadelphia, PA, 20th and Lehigh for folks in the Philadelphia area. At Deliverance Evangelistic Church, the black farmers will be up with uh, a lot of uh, different things coming in with the fall crop. Cabbage, tomatoes, red-skinned potatoes, cucumbers, green peppers, kale, collard, turnip greens, sweet potatoes, string beans. A lot of different things from the fall crop is starting to come in. Come and patronize our farmers' sustainably grown fruits and vegetables brought up by our farmers without all the pesticides and, and other additives. Come up, enjoy the food, enjoy the conversation, patronize our farmers. Use your dollars to save and support African American farms. Again, that date is uh, Saturday, October the 4th, 9 to 3 p.m. at Deliverance Evangelistic Church. That's at 20th and Lehigh for our Philadelphia area listeners. They're very familiar with Deliverance Church. Come on out, support our farmers. Use your Again, use your dollars to save and support African-American farmers. Brother Reg, Brother Ralph? Yes. How you feeling, yeah, how you doing, Elliot? How you doing, Reg? Doing good, Ralph. Uh, Reg, uh, any announcements in the community uh, announcements going on? No, bro. No, no announcements. Uh, you, Reg, uh, while we're waiting on our guest, Dr. Jeffries, um, I know that you had been, uh, along with uh, Brother Mukasa Africa from the Kepa Charter School, had been uh, working with uh, women from our communities, teaching them uh, the martial arts. How are those uh, classes going? It's still uh, going on. You still There's a lot more women joining, getting involved. Yeah, matter of fact, I can I can make an announcement of that real quick. Hold on, hold on one second, briefly, and I get that information up real quick. I just looked at it. Hold on one second. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's gonna we're gonna have um, an event this Tuesday. Um, it's in correlation with handbags for peace, women's self defense. It's a free self defense class. 
Tuesday, September 23rd, 2014, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, that's Columbia North uh, YMCA, 1400 North Broad Street, Philadelphia, PA, 19121. For everyone that's local, that's at Broad and Master. Please wear long pants and shirts, uh, sneakers and fitted gloves. Uh, the class will be very intense. Once again, this is Tuesday, September 23rd. 2014, between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m., the YMCA at 1400 North Broad Street, Philadelphia, PA, 19121. Uh, we're doing this event in coordination with, uh, in conjunction, excuse me, with Handbags for Peace. So women's self-defense class, please come out, and uh, you'll learn some techniques and some uh, different strategies in protecting yourself outside on the streets. Uh, how's the classes been going, Rich? Is a lot of women getting involved, more and more women every week? or how, yeah, How's it going? Or is it basically it, uh, the same core group? No, it's been different women because it's been uh, all the different rec centers throughout the city. Okay, it moves around. Yeah, the last event we had it, uh, had it at 2nd and Spring Garden Street at one of your friends in the boxes at his gym. And we had a uh, big turnout. It was myself and Bob Africa with the sisters, uh, Taima, uh, Sanchez at the, uh, she's one of the coordinator, uh, coordinators of, uh, the handbags for peace. And, uh, it was a good turnout. It's been a good turnout. The women are, are serious about protecting themselves. And there's been a lot of crazy things that have been going on in Philadelphia. And, and I think it's a good thing that we're going out there trying to, uh, show the women some different things they could do to protect themselves while they're walking down the streets. You know, uh, again, while we're waiting on uh, Dr. Jeffries, I want to... Uh, oh, you know what? And let me say ahead. also, it's um, it's Michelle Martin and Taima Sanchez. And the reason why they came up with this organization, it was uh, two women that were walking in Philadelphia and two men went to try to attack and take a purse. Uh, they got the purse and still ended up shooting the, uh, the young lady's, uh, the one woman's daughter. And as a vet, as good, go go keep on talking. Rich. Let me yeah. go ahead. Mm-hmm. As a result of that event, they started, uh, this group, this, this group. So, you know, uh, they reached out to Mikasa and, and, and we've been going forward with this. So it's, it's a great thing. Uh, we've had, people from all walks of life actually coming out to the events. But um, women have been contacting us, letting us know that what they've been getting, they're, uh, they've been very thankful for it. And, you know, especially with our, our, our core group, our women, I think it's very good for us to step out there and show leadership that we care about our women. I've been training with Brother Makasa about five years now, trained a little bit when I was younger, and didn't have any intention to be doing anything like this, but, you know, we're going out there, we're sincere, and we're trying to help the sisters out. So, you know, we do a little cardio work, and, and we get right into moves, you know, that they, they can help them save their uh, lives. Holds, breaks, choke holds, punches, and kicks. Knife attacks, protect themselves from knife attacks, gun attacks, and, and, and just giving them just overall information of you know things they can do 
to be a little more vigilant when they're walking out in the streets at their home to protect themselves. You know, Reg, we um, we talked last week uh, briefly at near the end of the program about the um, the negative images that splashed all over the media in reference to some of these uh, sports figures and their behavior. But uh, let, let's get uh, Dr. Jeffries involved in the conversation. Let, let me get him on here. Dr. Jeffries? Yes. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. <laughs> For our listening audience, we've joined tonight in conversation with historian, educator, political scientist, and Pan-Africanist, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. His work speaks for itself over 50 years in the struggle, going back and forth to the continent, whether it's on historical missions or whether it's on humanitarian missions or, 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 or unifying missions to bring a pan-African mindset to our brothers and sisters here and on the continent. Dr. Jeffrey's work speaks for itself, and I want to thank him for joining us again on Time for an Awakening. Dr. Jeffries, you're joined tonight with uh, with Brother Reg, who was on the program when you were on before, but we're also joined by Brother Ralph. Dr. Jeffries, peace, my brother. Right, hotel, hotel. Hotel. Hotel, Dr. Jeffries. to be on the radio audience trying to bring some uh, clarity and some enlightenment to our people. Dr. Jeffries, before we jump into our conversation this evening, I, I want to want you to kind of start this conversation off because last week... Uh, Myself and Brother Rich touched on this issue. Uh, we see the negative images of some of these uh, black sports figures plastered all over the uh, the media, whether it's social media or television, about their actions toward women. I got a little different slant on it. I want you to weigh in on this. Mm-hmm. We know that the um, the system of white supremacy uh, thrives on negative images of especially our people. It's been that way since we've been here. But with the advent of uh, television and and other mediums where these images can be seen all over the world, uh, it's at a very rapid pace. But we see that a little over a month ago when the rebellion in Ferguson happened and you've seen young people involved in challenging the system of white supremacy, challenging the behavior of police and and getting involved in trying to change the environment that shortly after <clears throat> those images were seen, we seen an influx of negative images of sports figures, particularly football players, plastered all over the television. Football's a billion dollar sport. It's seen in millions of homes in the United States and around the world. So these images go out. And the thing about it, a lot of this behavior by some of these players uh, has been behavior that had happened four or five, a while ago. But it all seemed to come to the light at the same time. Talk about the images, the negative images of our people uh, being plastered all over the television in my opinion, to try to take away the focus of especially our young people to current events happening that affect their lives. What's your opinion on that, Dr. Jeffrey? 
Well, I'm glad you raised the issue because it is important. We have to constantly look at things from various perspectives, and we can't accept what appears to be to be the reality. So uh, I would have that same type of suspicion that you have. Uh, it was clear that um, the concentration on the rebellion of our people in Ferguson uh, created a, a positive image of people struggling for what is right and what is correct and what is just. And then to have, within such a short period of time, uh, this reversal of uh, the negative, uh, on the negative. And also, since we had the imagery of the police abusing African people, it was not just Ferguson. You had, um, and I'll be going to Staten Island this uh, week to speak for the NAACP banquet, uh, and that's where the brother was choked uh, to death. Yes, Eric Gardner. Yes, Mm -hmm. you have had these negative images, and it is almost as if this was a plan to bring up the negative images that that come from the system of our oppression and then to bombard it with these pictures over and over again. I've never seen so many shots of the brother and the sister in the elevator when she was getting knocked down. I mean, that was just played over and over and over again. And it's still being played over again. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to understand uh, clearly, whoever controls the images controls three important aspects of our development. They control the self-esteem, what we think about ourselves. Uh, they control the self-respect, how we respect ourselves and one another. And they control what I call self-development. And so I'm, I am suspect, as you are, when there is this management of images... Uh, and um, and of course, at the bottom line is the almighty dollar. And so these images are manufactured and maintained and sustained based upon somebody looking at at the bottom line and it's, seeing it's what can me. be made in terms of it. So this is the system of white supremacy. There's no need for us to run away from it. This is the system of white dominance that we've had to uh, live under. This is the system that creates among our people, negative images within our own thinking. And so that's why the particular role I played over the years in trying to attack this negative imaging and trying to raise up the need for positive imaging, is I feel so strongly. But our people need to understand that it is not individual cases or individual circumstances. It is the systemic understanding that we have to understand. I appreciate There's a system of control of the mind, and in controlling the mind, you can also control the behind. And so that's why uh, the negative imaging has to be seen and understood, and so I'm glad you raised the issue. Surely women, uh, unfortunately, everywhere uh, are abused and, um, and shortchanged, and, and so that, that is definitely a situation that has to be dealt with globally. But this taking of these gladiators on the playing field and then going through their lives, uh, there's something more to this than, than meets the eye. And uh, so we, we have to be constantly aware uh, of that. So you, you're correct in raising it. Hey, Dr. Jeffries, um, can you speak up a little louder? There's some listeners that have a problem hearing you. Um, <clears throat> Well, I got my little cell phone, I mean, my regular phone here, and okay. I 
up to my mouth. So okay. uh, it, I hope that's a little better. Uh, it may be the equipment. Uh, and uh, uh, if this one doesn't work, I'll walk upstairs and get the other uh, phone. That might be better. But uh, continue on. Yeah, we might be all right, Dr. Jeffries. Yes. Um, you know, Dr. Jeffries, you raised a point earlier about the images. And and I want you to weigh in on this, being uh, you spent the majority of your life uh, digging into our past and rediscovering our, our great history. We know that when we came here, that we didn't come from a culture that abused disrespected and abused women but the Europeans did come from a culture that abused and disrespected women we see that since we've been here among Europeans this past 400 or some odd years that we've developed a lot of things among our people that needs to be gotten rid of I want you to talk to our listening audience about the system of the transatlantic slave trade, how it has devastated our people here and on the continent for hundreds of years, and how we're still feeling the mental and physical effects today. Also, talk about how the system uh, of the transatlantic slave trade benefited Europeans and how it damaged us. you can take that from whatever uh, way you want to, Dr. Jeffries, how it benefited Europeans, the system of the transatlantic slave trade, or how it devastated our people then, and how the after effects are still being felt now. Well, certainly that's the key question that we have to constantly be raising, and we have to constantly deal with it. Now, I don't know how many hours you have for us to do it tonight, but at least we can get started. Uh, And... uh, one of the key points that you did raise, when we talk about the slave trade, that's not good enough. We need to talk about the slave trade system. And when you add that dimension of system, it goes to the deep question. Because everything is has to be related to systems understanding. And when I tell our folks, you could have an episode like Ferguson or an episode like um, uh, what is happening in other parts of the world, but you need to see how these episodes are related to systems. Systems is the interrelationship of things. Systems is the deep perspective. Systems is the multifaceted look at things. And so when we talk about slavery, we need to have a deep understanding of it and its impact on behavior. And uh, the European has mastered systems understanding and systems relationship, particularly over the last 400 500 years, particularly over the last 100 years, with this technology. And so even though his need for mineral resources, his need for exploitation of people's lands um, led to the enslavement system, and most people say, well, Dr. J., everybody had involvement in slavery. Well, that's true. There have been slave systems all throughout history, but the particular brand manufactured and produced by the European over the last 500 years, over the last 1,000 years, needs to be understood as something special, where domination of others, which may have been the pattern of human development, 
within the context of the European, that domination of others becomes a process of dehumanization. And the great difference between chattel slavery developed by the European system of a dehumanization of the African is different from just domination of people you have conquered. And you somehow respect their ancestral uh, realm, you respect their systems as you dominate them. The European chattel slavery is a distinct difference than the enslavement systems that have previously existed. And much of it has to do with the messing with the mind. And our great struggle against the system is to try to restore and, and maintain and sustain our humanity. And so we have to see these contradictions as, as real. Every system has three major components. One is the component of economics. And I use the triangle shape of the pyramids to process information and data and get people to understand in a deeper way. So if people can think or draw in front of them the triangle shape, the equilateral triangle. At, at one point uh, on the uh, left side of the triangle, you have what I call e economics. At the other, and that's your creative productive capability. At the other point is what I refer to as politics. That's the management capability. And at the summit is what we call the foundation principle of, of synthesis, and that is culture. Mm -hmm. So you have to see this system linked to economics, politics, and culture in deep ways. Now, now I'm getting some feedback. Yes. I, 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 uh, go ahead, Dr. Jeffries. We'll, we'll fight through it. That is all about. But... Uh, uh, is the feedback still no, yeah. here? Or no, we're, we're good. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when we talk about slavery, we have to rethink the whole uh, process of enslavement and how it relates to various systems. And that's why I say it has to be seen as relating to the economics of, of global systems, the politics of global systems, and the culture of global systems. And as you pointed out, that the European comes at it from a particular economic perspective, cultural, political and cultural perspective. And the European alienation of humanity, the alienation of the women uh, in his developmental process, that, that the alienation of, of uh, children and the human family, the European caught up in the northern cradle, which Dr. Shekhar up one of the greatest minds in the history of the world, clearly explains that there's a different flow of humanity coming from the northern cradle, which was centered around survival in a negative environment, particularly an environment of the ice. The great ice age dominated northern Europe for 100 years, and that produced a particular level of survival in which the premium was placed upon the the domination of the male who could go and do the hunting and, and, and bring back uh, that which was necessary for survival. And if it was necessary to kill other people, including women, uh, that was done. That, that's that, what I call the ice people's value system, the value system of the cave, the survival value system, very materialistically centered value system. Value system of the sun is a different value system. It, it puts a focus on spiritual 
aspects of the development of human life as opposed to survival culture. Uh, and in the spiritual development of, of human life, the women plays a special role because it is the woman that brings forth life, nurtures life, and is the center of, of life, the life development process. So there was a different value system coming out of the southern cradle, as Dr. Shekhar pointed out, as opposed to that survival value system coming out of the northern cradle. And I think once we begin to understand that, we can make a distinction on how women are looked at and respected in more traditional cultures. More traditional cultures are women-centered because the women produce the children, raise the children, create the home environment, uh, handle the, the, the agricultural development that produces the food supply. The woman has a particular central role. And, in the, and that understanding of the woman led to what became an increase in human understanding, and we began to develop what I call the developmental culture, where the center was not the material domination of things, but the spiritual domination of things, including things material. Case in point, you have these enormous physical structures built in the civilizations of the southern cradle, not only in the Nile Valley and the Tigris-Euphrates, uh, but also in the native populations of uh, the Americas. You have these enormous physical structures uh, built, but they were built with the understanding that they represented the spiritual component for, of human development. And so you can't just see the pyramids in terms of the, the millions of, of uh, bricks that were hewn out and, and put together but they represented an attempt to link the human spirit to the universal divine spirit, the unknown mysteries of the universe. And so uh, we have, for example, the largest of the symbols stolen from the Nile is the George Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. And it represents a material manifestation of the Europeans taking our culture and grafting it onto himself. And then uh, creating for the world the image that black people had no culture. In fact, the black people might be questionably human. In fact, they might be subhuman. And so they stole our culture, put it in Washington, D.C., virtually worship it, and all the world thinks it's something from the European world when it is from the deep philosophical understanding of systems of philosophy and theosophy and ideology that Africans developed. It's a symbol of renewal. It's a symbol of rebirth. It's a symbol of the significance of the female in the culture of human development. And we have taken it, grafted it onto George Washington, eliminated the African value system that it represents, and then our people, even black folks, not knowing any better, take their children down to Washington, D.C., and say, look, Johnny May, and look, uh, Joe, look at this, uh, Joey, look at this, monument they built for George Washington don't have a clue of the systems of spiritual understanding that it represents coming from the sun cradle, from the, from the African, uh, Southern Asian, uh, Native American world. So that's why I say we have to be patient and, and understanding that we have been imposed on in unusual ways. Our humanity has been tampered with, but our great struggle has been to restore that humanity. And so uh, when I worked with Alex Haley, a 
um, Roots project of trying to link us back to our past, and uh, Alex was able to take it back to a village in Africa in the Senegambian area uh, that was called Jufere. But And I worked with him for seven years. We had a half-million-dollar grant from the Carnegie Corporation to try to bring out that history. But with the Diop work occurring at the same time, and I became a part of that, Diop takes it past a village in the Senegambia, which is on, which is ironic because Diop is from the Seneg- Senegal. But mm-hmm. Diop takes it back to the ancient valleys of the Nile and other uh, places in the Sun Belt of the world, the the Tigris Euphrates um, in um, in the so-called Middle East, the Indus Valley and Ganges Valley in India, the Yellow River and the Yangtze River in China. In other words. The river valley provides an ecology that allows for this unusual human development and spirituality. And even though it may also allow for the creation of material symbols relating to that spirituality, the spirituality dominates the materiality. Whereas the northern cradle of of desperation, the cradle of isolation, the cradle of, of, of creating a predator value system, the northern cradle puts survival over all else. Because you don't know, uh, waking up the next day, whether there'll be a snowstorm that will wipe you out. Whereas in the Sun Belt, you have that perpetual sun and the relationship of that sun to the overflow of the river valleys. And so there's a, a perpetual optimism of life being renewed as opposed to death at the next heavy storm that's going to occur. So it's a deep question that I think our people need to be involved in. But the important thing that you raised and I'm trying to raise is that at the center of the cultures of African people is respect for women, is reverence for women, is raising women up as the center of the universe. And the Native Americans have that same thing. Land is Mother Earth because of respect for the land producing life-giving nutrients as the woman produces life out of her body. And so for us to be involved in the denigration of women is a distortion of those cultures that we developed over the thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of years, that there's a complementarity of the male and the female. And at the center of that complementarity is the role of the female in bringing forth life, sustaining life, maintaining life. And so even the consciousness of the divine in the African tradition has the goddess along with the god. And it's not just a man-god that creates everything. It's the principle of male and femaleness that creates everything. And so there are deep questions that we have to raise. And it's difficult for us because we've all bought in to the European survival uh, process. And we got the, the man-god uh, in, in our cultures and our religious traditions. And we got the, the female uh, bringing forth and carrying the negative, and and so we, there's a lot of things we have to redo. It's going to be rough for us because people say, "But well, Dr. Jay, are you saying we have to review our consciousness of God?" I'm saying you damn sure right. I'm trying to say it. And do you have to say that the the, the woman being evil is, is something that needs to be questioned? You damn sure right. I'm questioning it because that's not our inherited traditions. And and if you know. Our survival and our ability to survive, it, it, it's not just men surviving, it's women providing the survival for us, even in our worst moments. 
And so uh, uh, the Harriet Tubman principle and the principle of, of uh, uh, if you w- want to go back into the ancient traditions of the now, the principle of, of Ya Asatiwa among the Asati and the ancient Africans, you had Queen T, uh, T-I-Y-E or T-Y, this important female who lived 1400 B.C., before the Greeks and the Romans, here you had this woman with her great husband ruling the Nile Valley, the greatest civilization of the ancient times. And she ruled together with him for 36 to 38 years. When he passed, she ruled by herself for a dozen years. And then when her son emerged to, to uh, take the leadership, she ruled as a co-regent with him. Here's this woman, 1500, 1400 B.C., one of the great symbols of, of human development, and there's not a, a word of her in the history books. But you do have her grandson in the history books, King Tut, because of that gold mass. Again, material culture versus spiritual uh, culture. And you also have a her daughter-in-law that she arranged the marriage for her to marry her son, the Pharaoh Agnaton, and her daughter-in-law is Nefertiti. So everybody knows about King Tut, the gold mass, and Nefertiti, the so-called beauty of the Nile. But they don't know that the spirit that kept all of it together and maintained it was a black woman of Nubian ancestry uh, with her Afro hairdo, and her the greatest statue in the Cairo Museum is her sitting with equal majesty with her great husband, Amenophis III, uh, 390 B.C., before there's any Solomon or David, before there's any Romans and Greeks, before there's any Alexander the Great, you had this great woman sitting and leading the greatest civilization in the history of the world. And what is beautiful in that story is that her son emerged and he saw that materialism was dominating the culture of the Nile. They had won so many victories over the enemies outside. So much wealth had come into the Nile Valley that they decided that the materialism, the gold, the wealth was polluting the value system. And her son, Quinty's son, and the wife that Agnaton married, Nefertiti, they moved from the city of 100 gates in ancient times, Waset, in the Greek times, Thebes, in, the, in later times, Luxor, and today Luxor. They moved from that city of 100 gates into the desert to build a new city of God. And that's the history of Africa before any European could read or write, before any European cities, any European culture, any European traditions that represent a high level of humanity. There was a black woman at the center of it all, sustaining it and passing it on. Dr. Jeffries, you brought up, and I want to ask this last question. I'm going to get to Brother Reg and Brother Ralph, too, because uh, I know they have some things they want to throw in the pot also. You raised the, the issue of religion and um uh, about religious systems. Religious yes, religious systems. systems. We know that when our people, we know that when our people came here, we had a spirituality. We didn't necessarily have religions. I think uh, a lot of the religions that we were exposed to uh, came from the mind of Europeans. Uh, put it this way: the, the principles of a lot of the religions came from African mindset. But I think a lot of the things that we adopted from Europeans. And, and got involved in a religious uh, 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 mindset, so to speak, came from the mind of Europeans. Do you think that 
because and you mentioned that a lot of the things that we believe need to be looked at again or reviewed. Yes. Do you think that? Do you think that uh, through blind faith in religions has stunted our people's growth instead of having a spirituality and a will to move themselves? We have a mindset where we're waiting on Jesus. We're waiting on Yeshua. We're waiting on Allah. We have a mindset where we have blind faith, where we're waiting on something instead of having a spirituality and the will to move ourselves. Do you think it has stunted our people's growth? Well, as we started off the program, we talked about systems and systems analysis. We talked about images, and I mentioned as we look at the system of who controls the images, what that those that imaging does, it allows you to control the self-esteem, what you think about yourself, the self-respect, what you, what you, how you respect yourself and others, and also self-development. Because someone else controls our images, and because they've taken from our spiritual systems and given us a little bit of this and that, twisted and distorted, yes. we are, we have a negative self-esteem. We do not believe that black folk are really the chosen people of the universe in the first part uh, and the beginning of humankind, and they are the mothers and fathers of the universe. We can't fathom that because our minds have been messed with. The negative images have been put into our minds, negative uh, uh, theosophies and ideologies. And then certainly if you have low self-esteem or negative self-esteem, then you don't have respect for uh, self. And so we're dealing with the slave system, mental slavery, being manufactured and a conspiracy being imposed to control the imaging, control the respect, and in doing so, control the development. If you have positive self-esteem and positive respect, you can have what I call a developmental culture. If you don't, you go into degeneration. And what we saw on those images of the football players was black men being told by the system that they are supermen and they want them to maintain that superman status so they can bring in billions of dollars to the European system. Black men losing their sense of self, sense of respect, and a lack of understanding of, of real development. Real development is not knocking down women. Real development is, is not denigrating women or uh, destroying children. Our people had a, had a reverence for women and a, a reverence for children because they represented the divine development of the spiritual family. So, yes, you, you have hit it on the head when you raised the question that we have been given little bits and pieces of the spiritual system that the European inherited from us and never understood because the materiality of the European world dominates the spirituality. In the world of the Native Americans, the Southern Asians, the, uh, the uh, African, indigenous Africans, spirituality dominates the materiality. And so we need to have a discussion on this. We, we uh, uh, a tradition that was given to us in bits and pieces in order to control us. So we're worshiping the white man, the white God, the white angels, the white prophets, and that we're, we want to be whiter than thou, O Lord, in order to go into a white heaven, that all of that needs to be understood as part of the process of devastation of the African mind and African spirituality. But history and science and philosophy have exploded on the scene. 
these last hundred uh, and last 50 or 60 years, and they've established that the European is not the center of the universe, and that the beginning of the development of the human family was in the river valleys, the sun of the universe, and Dr. Diep talks about a law, Glover's law, mammals in the sun develop melanin to resist the ultraviolet rays of the sun, so if humankind has been on the planet thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years, possibly millions of years, it had to be black. And you can't go back 6,000 years and start history 6,000 years and then claim that you were created in a garden. Now, that's the heavy thing that we got to deal with. It's, uh, uh, you can have a philosophical understanding of the creation of life, or you can have a scientific understanding of the creation of life and blend that with a philosophical understanding of what life really means. But we have never been given the full knowledge and the full understanding, so we've done well to survive with these little bits and pieces, but it's just survival culture. It's not developmental culture. Okay. And so we need to move, and we have to move into developmental culture because the global families are coming together. The Asian family globally is coming together. The Arab family is coming together. The European family is coming together. And here we are still worried about integrating a lunch counter or integrating a school to be with white folks. That's a reflection of us not having an understanding of who developed education. That's a product of African civilization. Who developed spirituality to let you know that there's a, there's a divine essence in the human and in all life that relates to the divine essence outside of the human? Who developed the, the training and understanding of moving people into a divine concept of how you live as opposed to a predator concept of how you live. Who these great institutions, these pillared temples that we have with a Lincoln sitting up there looking like a pharaoh. That's a direct copy out of the Nile. That that pool that reflects the pool that links the Lincoln Memorial with the Washington Monument. It, that comes out of the temples of the Nile. The symbol of rebirth and resurrection that's in all of the great centers in the Nile Valley, there it is, dominating Washington DC to the worship of a white man. That's not the African symbol. The African symbol is the understanding, a deep understanding of the spirit of renewal that is in all things. So how do we go from having a symbol that represents the rebirth of life in all its forms to the worship of a white man slave, Master Bastard George Washington? And we're still doing it. We can't get off of it. But the explosive information that has occurred over these last hundred years and institutionalized in these last 50, 60 years, we have it in organizations now. We have an organization called ASCAP, the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations, formed in, in 1984-85. And, and uh, 10 years before that, we formed the National Council for Black Studies because so many black studies programs was uh, burgeoning out, all blossoming all over the country that we had to form an association to, to relate to that. In 1968-69 is when we produced the African Heritage Studies Association, led by Dr. Clark. And then we began to begin to have people trained in this knowledge that could go into these colleges and set up these black studies programs. And then when the European realized that we had the key to our development, they said, let's wipe it out, let's destroy it. And the person who was singled out as the point man for the destruction of myself. And that's why when I was asked to, to evaluate the curriculum of the state of New York with a task force of, 
of several people, we said that the existing curriculum in the schools is a curriculum of exclusion. What we need is a curriculum of inclusion, including the African, the Asian, the Native American, and, and the uh, uh, Latino. And so once they realize this is where it's going and this is the truth is out the box, we got to do something to make sure it does not become the force that transforms the educational system for everybody. And they said, let's attack this brother, Jeffries. Let's instill fear in him. Let's create him as a monster. But they didn't understand. I don't operate under materiality. I operate under the spirituality formula. And so we stood strong. Even death would not have changed us, turned us around. And we stood strong for that truth that there is an African origin of humankind, there's an African evolution of society, there's an African cradle of civilization in the river valleys of the world. We ain't moving off of that. But they had to distort all the images and all the things that we said and all the people who were associated with us. But it hasn't, it, it hasn't changed anything. We are still moving forth, and we're in what I call a victorious path, even though they control the images, and it looks as if we, we went about it here, then we got knocked back two steps. No. If you understand from whence we came, out of the enslavement system, when we were considered property and things and not human, to where now we have a view of the world that's much different, and the future of the world will be much different for us. But if they control the images, you still think that that Elizabeth Taylor was there in the Nile Valley, or somebody <laughs> like Elizabeth Taylor was there, and, and uh, 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 Moses was there, and he wasn't he wasn't raised in the culture of, of, of the Nile the way he was, and and so his role is being interpreted. I have a picture of Menachem Begin standing in front of the pyramids when they had the uh, Camp Davis Accords, and he was signing a peace with uh, Anwar Sadat. And the headlines showing him standing, he said he never had a more glorious moment than standing in front of the pyramids that his ancestors built thousands of years ago. And his ancestors ain't had a damn thing to do with my pyramids. I had to tell that to Mayor Koch when he wanted to interact with me. I said, well, I, I really am not interested in interacting with you unless you're ready to give, give me back my pyramids. He said, what? I said, yes, I want my pyramids back. I have a picture of you riding on a camel around the pyramids in Egypt that you say your ancestors built, and they didn't have a damn thing to do with that. <laughs> so then he was kind of shocked. He said, I got to get next to this brother. And two days later from Hong Kong or Honolulu, he called and said, let's meet. You can have your pyramids back. And so we did meet. We met May the 16th, 1990, in his office, before the opening speech. My brother and I rolled down two big boxes of books, and we laid it out in front of him. We got the tape of it. He taped it. He thought he would be finding some fool, some ignoramus that he could take and ridicule in the newspaper like everybody else was. I wasn't paying no attention to everybody else, but when the head man called, I said, this is the one. I deal with their best, so I don't have to worry about the rest. And I went down and laid the material out, all the works of Sheikh Hunter Diop, Dr. Clark, all the great white scholars who had contributed to the African understanding of the world, who was involved in slavery, all the books that, had, that were written by Jewish folks that, that, that point, pinpointed their involvement in, uh, in slavery. And once he saw that, he said, well, I've got to go. I've got to have another meeting. You begged me to come down to your office, and now that I'm laying out the material, thinking that you would take it and it would be put, I had said, if I bring this material out, it will be considered anti-Semitic, anti-Catholic, anti-Italian, anti-Mafia, etc. And I said, you and your people should bring it out. 
And then I didn't hear from him for another year and three months until I made the Albany speech when I mentioned that I had been down to his office and this is what I laid out. And he is in denial. I have a letter from him uh, when some of our people asked for permission to publish the transcript of the of our meeting. And he says he doesn't know about it. Our meeting was private. He doesn't know about any tapes or anything. He went and stopped the meeting. When I talked about the Statue of Liberty, he went and got his senior partner, Wolf, brought him in, and he brought two tape recordings and put them in front of me and said, this one is for you and this one is for me. I have a letter from him denying that this occurred. We have his voice. Oh, denying that he ever met with you, huh? We met, and I beat his butt with the truth, gently but very powerfully. I wasn't insulting him. I said, this is what, you want to talk about the Jewish involvement of slavery? Where do you want to start, Mr. Mayor? Do you want to start in Spain and Portugal in the beginning of enslavement? Do you want to go to Northern Europe where the English and the Dutch were dominating and ask the Jews to join them? Do you want to go overseas to South America? Do you want to go to the Caribbean? Do you want to go to North America, Lopez of Newport? Where do you want to start? Here's a dozen books that you can look at. Brother Reg, Brother Ralph, you want to jump in? No, you can go to a break. I'm, I'm fine. You can let uh, Brother Ralph come in. You know, they we can go to a break, Elliot, um, and I'll I'll come in after the break. Good. We're gonna we uh, Doctor Jeffrey. We're gonna take a brief yes. break, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. All right, brother. With Doctor Leonard Jeffries, historian, educator, political scientist, and Pan African, over fifty years' work rediscovering our history, bringing out these pearls of wisdom, and we'll be right back to continue the conversation. And you can join us too at 215-253-7263. That's 215-253-7263. We'll be right back. Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215 215- 885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated.
before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. Everybody is here. As many of you know, uh, last March, when it was announced that I was no longer in the black Muslim movement, it was pointed out that it was my intention to work among the 22 million non-Muslim Afro-Americans and to try and form some type of organization or create a situation where the young people, our young people, the students and others, could study the problems of our people for a period of time and then come up with a new analysis and give us some new ideas and some new suggestions as to how to approach a problem that too many other people had been playing around with for too long. And that we would have some kind of meeting and determine at a later date whether to form a black nationalist party or a black nationalist army. There have been many of our people across the country from all walks of life who have taken it upon themselves to try and pool their ideas and to come up with some kind of solution to the problem that confronts all of our people. And tonight we are here to try and get an understanding of what it is they've come up with. But when a black man strikes back, he's an extremist. He's supposed to sit passively and have no feelings, be nonviolent and love his enemy, no matter what kind of attack, be it verbal or otherwise, he's supposed to take it. But if he stands up and in any way tries to defend himself, (laughs) then he's an extremist. My reason for believing in extremism, intelligently directed extremism, Extremism in defense of liberty, extremism in quest of justice is because I firmly believe in my heart that the day that the black man takes an uncompromising step and realizes that he's within his rights when his own freedom is being jeopardized to use any means necessary to bring about his freedom or put a halt to that injustice, I don't think he'll be by himself. I live in America where there are only 22 million blacks against probably 160 million whites. One of the reasons that I am in no way reluctant or hesitant to do whatever is necessary to see that black people do something to protect themselves, I honestly believe that the day that they do, many whites will have more respect for them and that there will be more whites on their side than are now on their side with these little wishy-washy love thy thy enemy uh, approach that they've been using up to now.
And if I'm wrong, then you are racialist. <laughs> Welcome back to Time for an Awakening, and we're joined in conversation this evening with Dr. Leonard Jeffries. The subject, uh, white supremacy, the intellectual, cultural, and economic warfare against black folks, and the battle to restore our African mind. And you can join this conversation also at 215-253-7263. That's 215-253-7263. Uh, Brother Reg, Brother Ralph, did you want to... Uh, yeah, yes. Um, uh, good evening, Dr. Jeffrey. My, uh, my name is Brother Ralph, and I, I just want to, like... Good evening, Brother. Uh, uh, ...ask you some questions. Um, first of all, I, I appreciate the historical... Um, findings that you're revealing to people and matter of fact a lot of people now are starting to wake up there's um, some dvds out there now called hidden colors what which a lot of our children are now looking at and taking an interest in so there is an awakening today of our uh, of our history but you know um i'm a person that really focuses on focus on what can I do today? Even though I understand history has a lot to do with it because we will go back into slavery, but we don't really talk about the effects that Jim Crow has had on our folks when they were supposed to be free or when they thought they were free and were still living under these Jim Crow laws, which are still here today, as we can see in Ferguson and other places in this country that this uh, news media doesn't broadcast they they'd rather take a few millionaires put them on tv and like you said play this video over and over and over again look at this savage but they don't show you this uh, and i call poverty violence so when you force a people to live in poverty that's violence so i'm looking at the things today that would make our people realize that because a lot of our folks dr jeffries even though they know about history, they don't look at this system of capitalism as an enemy. <laughs> Matter of fact, you're saying that, and you just said this, a lot of our folks are still looking to integrate into that way of life. And that's our problem. We have folks that are out there that, are, that they pay good money to to keep our people confused, confused, uh, thinking that they have um, political power. Um, these millionaires are starting to find out that their millions don't give them any power. It might give them a little emotional high, but 68% of them, once they retire, they're broke and they're back in poverty. And I'm looking at a situation down there in St. Louis right now where a group of black politicians, said no more with this Democratic Party. If they're not for our people and they're not making situations for our people, we can no longer be part of them. I've been waiting for that for 19 years. 19 years. I'm, I'm talking about the history that I'm, I've been waiting on since I seen Bill Clinton was a big enemy of our people and I became an independent. It seems like I've been waiting on 19 years for this to happen. So I'm just waiting on an awakening today. Now we can talk about, you know, we can talk about Egypt and we can talk about the Nile Valley and all that. That's great. That you know, because I, I see where they're putting these movies out now. 
that's putting another people down there in those places. But right now, we need to know who our enemy is and what his weapons of warfare are. And I'm looking at this television, which programs our people. I'm looking at this entertainment, this Nicki Minaj and all this garbage. I'm looking at the filth that our people gravitate to and say, what's the solution to get us out of that garbage? What's the solution to get our minds right? Present. You know what I mean? So I, I, I hear you, Dr. Jeffries, I, I, you know, and I know you're a historian, but I'm looking for some solutions today to get, because next thing you know, we'll be having this conversation 100 years from now, the same conversation. Something needs to change. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, and, and I, I hope you have, uh, you, can, <laughs> you can help me with my struggle of looking at these things, you know. Um, but I am starting to see a subtle awakening in our people. But I, I'm just afraid that we'll be, you know, it, our people down the line 100 years from now will be having the same conversation. Um and it's, it, it seems like we're not going anywhere. And I hate to be a pessimist, but I'm telling you what I see and why I'm down a little bit um, spiritually, because this is what I see. And it seems like the apathy, the self-hatred, all that is plaguing our community. And it seems like we cannot get out of it. Um, I don't know if this is, uh, you know, as tragic as that. Maybe you could help me with this, my outlook, but that's where I'm at. And that's why I was like basically holding my tongue tonight because you can give these people all the information you want. There's still a vote Barack Obama in for a third presidency, seeing exactly what he is. So I, I, I just don't know, man. I, I just don't know. Um, and, I, you know, that's my contribution. You yes, can't say you don't know when you've just been running down some heavy stuff. How can you end it off by... <laughs> In other words, you just don't know what is the real solution, and that no one does. So, But you, your analysis is, is, is on the money, and uh, so uh, no need to be optimistic. I have a book in my hand, and I'm trying to straighten out my desk, and the book is by... Uh, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, the first president of Ghana, and the title is The Struggle Continues. So no matter how you feel, the struggle is still going to be in front of us and is still going to continue, and what we need to do is fight the good fight, but then you have to move beyond the fighting and you have to do the building. So the question is, how do you build? What do you build with? Do you build with the same flawed, sick European system, <laughs> or do you try to Think through something else to build with. Are you just going to step into the white man's shoes and do the same thing that he's done, exploit, destroy, devastate, uh, twist, and, 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 and create mon monstrosities in terms of historical perspectives or even lifestyles? So the fight continues, and, and hopefully there will be some meaningful future if we divine it. If you don't divine it, if you don't plan it, you know, they, with our church people now, they say, name it and claim it. So if you got to move from you're feeling the heavy weight of things to what could we do? What would I want to do? What would I want to happen with me? How, how would I want to uh, change myself, change, transformation, rebirth, resurrection? That's life. 
What, what, what would I want to see? What do I want to see about family? What do I want to see about community? What do I want to see about a real education and, and a real sharing of the wealth of the universe? So you have to put, you do the good fighting, but you have to put some effort into planning. If you don't plan, you plan to fail. So people can feel uh, bad that things are not moving right, and I do at that time, but then I wake up quickly. I just do a flashback to my grandfather, Jesse Jeffries, born 1868, one foot out of slavery. His brother Sam, born 1865, in slavery. My grandmother born 1870. When they were supposed to get end of slavery, they were supposed to get the, the citizenship rights, the due process of law, they were supposed to get the vote. And they didn't get any of that. It was on the book. It's celebrated in America. But that didn't stop them. They were able to raise their kids. My grandfather had 14 kids. His brother Sam had 15. They lived next to each other. They had their farms. They, they controlled their land. They built their institutions. They had these little Christian churches, but that was a survival institution. The, the schoolhouse that they built 100-plus years ago and sent their children to their school, a black uh, teacher from Atlanta, Mr. Turner, they hired. One foot out of slavery, they moved into moving toward their humanity. So if I'm oppressed now, what the hell would I have been in the chaos that my grandfather was born in? He was born when the old clan was established in 1866, 1867. The whites of the uh, night, the white knights, the knights of the chameleon, these terrorist groups were there to destroy black folk. After 50 years almost, the, the rise of the new clan after the birth of the nation movie in 1915, the new clan took him out in 1917 mm. after they burned down the masonic lodge that he was the master of if my grandfather can come and stand up have children schools that they built with their own hands churches and and lodges and institutions that, uh, and they could do that what the hell am i going to say now i can't do it with the trillion dollar negro uh, that we have in in our midst if we could just change that mentality and let him understand the use of his economic prowess is not for consuming garbage. We're the worst consumers of garbage in the history of the world. If we could just take 1% of the wealth that we produce, that trillion dollars, that would be a $10 billion thing that we could rotate in our communities. 10% of our wealth that we produce is $100 billion. We could transform our world with 10% of the wealth that we produce. But we don't have the mentality because the mentality has been tampered with. And our great struggle is to create a mentality of Africanness that lets our people know they are the chosen of the universe. So we have the potential, but you need the mindset to build, not just to resist, not just to fight, and then find a place for you in the white system. So, uh, Obama in the White House was not put in there by black people. He was created and formed by white folks to be in there to help white the white system. Our, our great people were supported by white folks not to develop a black system, but to perpetuate the white system. Let's grab this call. 610 area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Brother Elliot. How you doing? I'm here on the plantation. How you doing, Brother Elliot? How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. How you doing, Brother Rick? Doing well, Joe. How you doing, Brother uh, Ralph? Hey, how you doing, Joe? I'm doing fine. Hey, Dr. Jeffries, how you doing, my brothers? I'm honored to talk to you, Dr. Jeffries. I'm still in struggling, brother. I'm still doing it, but I see the light. Yes, sir. And it's going to be when I leave here, I'm going to be holding my head up. 
as well as you should too, Dr. Jeffries. I just want to say first, before I get started my conversation, you know when Brother Elliot during the break, when you played Brother Malcolm speaking to Elliot, you know he used the word extremes. He's just going to show you how this white corporate system, how they, how they, how they names, they, they use the same terminology. So, when, so they use it against black people today. They use it against the Palestinians who struggle against Israel, Israeli Zionist occupation. When they, you fight back, you're an extremist. It's just amazing how, like Malcolm pointed out 50-something years ago, how do you how they play on words and stuff. When you're a person of color, and you fight back against white oppression. You're an extremist. You're a terrorist. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just, the, the, the beat just goes on. And, 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 and Dr. Jeffries, when you talked about your grandfather just now, you made me think about the courage, like you said, your grandfather showed. You know, it, 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 in, in a twisted sort of way, and I'm, I'm going to use a better comparison in a minute, but in twisted, it's, it's kind of like Jack Johnson, though I don't advocate black men you know, messing with Caucasian women, but you got to buy that brother's courage. But here's what he did. was lynching black men like it was a holiday. And this brother was had to go out to go out with white women in, in, in public, but he was taught trash and kick a white man's ass in the ring and taught trash while he was doing it. I mean, you got to buy that kind of courage. And, and, and your grandfather, Jack Johnson, men like that, they are they special men because they stood up in the face of white oppression and said, hell, bring it, baby, bring it. And, and then you fast forward, Dr. Jeffries, to here today, like you said, with these, these million-dollar Negroes and, and, and the ones that's making this money don't have no don't have the right mindset. Look at a guy like Dwight Howard, the center for the Houston Rockets. Now, here this Negro making millions of dollars playing a game of basketball. He had, in one moment he had an epiphany. He said he 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 watched TV. He got a mind. God gave him a brain. So he watching what's going on in Gaza. He see what's going on in Ferguson. He see what's going on in Gaza. He see the the bombs dropping, killing Palestinians from from the, from the Zionists over there. So he says, I want to see a free Palestine. No sooner did he said, uh, Doctor Jeffrey, what happens? Here come the head of the Zionist lobby. Say, how dare you, Negro? Get back in your place. And, and him being a weak, spineless Negro, that most of them are spineless and, and don't have a sense of who they are, he start backtracking. I apologize. I didn't mean to offend the Jewish community or whatever. From now on, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. I'm gonna stay out of politics and geopolitical affairs. And, and so Mr. Furcon rightly castigated him. He said, Negro, how many more damn millions do you have to make before you stand up and be a damn man? He said, You want to see? Gonna let somebody talk you out because you want to play basketball. You're already making millions of dollars, and this is what they have, the point I'm saying, Doctor Jeffries. This is what they have did to our people. We are, we are in such a degraded condition that a black man can't stand up for for, 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 for oppression against his own people, and when he see oppression of other people, he can't speak up and stuff like that. Because here come the white racists or Jewish Zionist lobby. Look what happened up in New York right at the City College, where they shut the black radio station down at City College because they accusing the brother of being anti-Semitic. See, and this is the kind of stuff that we go through in this country. We are sex in a degraded condition. We we can't speak up. We, if you speak up, you're 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 you're, you're a hater. You're you're anti-Semite. You're anti-white. Then they get the handkerchief here, Negro, to, to come against you and stuff. The black cowardly politicians to come against you. So. We, like you said, Dr. Jeffrey, we have to change our mindset, and this is what we have to do among the common black people as well as the, the athlete, black athletes and entertainers. We've got to change our mindset because it's our mind that's got that so messed up. We need to change that mindset and realize you're sitting on a billion dollars as a people, a billion-dollar economic potential, instead of get, keep giving your money back to the white racist system and oppress your people. Once we change our mindset, a lot of this stuff, Dr. Jeffrey, like you said, can be corrected, but we have got to, it has to be a change of mindset. That's the key right there. We have got to get rid of this, this mind of white supremacy and look at the, the greatness of us as a people because that's what's killing us as the people today. Thank you for your contribution, Brother Joe. 
Thanks, Brother Elliot. Thank you, Dr. Jeff, Brother Ralph, and Brother Elliot, and Brother Rex. 215 Eric Code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Brother Timothy, South Philly. How are you, sir? How's everyone, uh, Brother uh, Ralph, Brother Elliot, um, Reggie? How's everybody? But Dr. Jeffries, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Brother. Uh, glad to be on the radio with you. Same here. You know, um, Dr. Jeffries, last night I turned my television on about 1230 a.m., and I looked at a program by Dr. Skip Gates, Dr. Lewis Henry Gates. And Henry State. Lewis, Skip the Truth Gates. Go ahead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it lasted until 5 o'clock in the morning. And it was interesting because I observed some interesting things on the program. Because he had talked about the, the beginnings of, of slavery and the held and of North America, shadow slavery. And he said there were some Europeans who brought some Africans from the continent and to settle, and he said, those Europeans uh, brought uh, black slaves with them like they brought some black slaves with the blacks. He was saying that some blacks settled in, in that time, but like 1510, they had their own slaves that were black, and they had white indentured servants. He said, as time went on, the laws changed where white people would enslave white people. White people were looking to enslave the black people. And that was some, that was news to me, but I'm gonna continue on what I what my observations were. I, I observed some interesting things that that came out in that program about a woman who killed her children because uh, she didn't want to be taken into slave. They escaped from slavery, they ran away, and they were able to make it. I think to a certain part of Ohio, one part of Ohio was free, the other one was a, was a slave state. When it, they captured the woman, when they captured her. Uh, she killed her own offspring to say she didn't want them to be subject to the cruelty of slavery. She was captured and taken back to her master. There were some interesting things in that in that uh, um, that documentation that he did that I, I, I was just like wanting to research more. I know about Robert Smalls. I know about the planter. I know he's the first one to bring about the contraband. But I want to know your opinion of what you think of what he put together. Okay, first of all, I, I need to get some more information from you. You said you saw this. What was the title of the... Of the Crossing the of the Rivers. He just, he, this came out. He, he had various people in there. He had Milana Kering. He interviewed uh, various people throughout history. He had... Um, yeah, you're talking about the document. Uh, I think it's Many Rivers to Cross or exactly. something like that. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to know what did you think of that? Was it authentic? Was it true to life? Was it, you, you thought he bent some things? He left some people out? I mean, every time he brings that about when it comes to different masses and things, that he makes sure he leaves out Louis Farrakhan. I mean, you know, he makes sure he leaves out the, 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 the folks who are very much to the left. But I want to know your opinion of his research, what he does, who he's he doing it for. He makes out Dr. John Henry Clark, Dr. Yosef ben Yachlin, Dr. Asa Hilliard, uh, Dr. Naeem Akbar, uh, he makes sure he leaves out Dr. Chancellor Williams, Dr. Shekanta Jip. He's a fraud. Okay. He's okay. a fraud. Now you have to say, well, Dr. Jay, you got to back that up. Well, <laughs> the reality is that he was created in response to me. Okay. When the brother mentioned that there was somebody at City College who was accused of being anti-Semitic, that's me. 
The biggest attack ever waged against a scholar in the history of the world was waged against me. Other attacks in previous times didn't have the electronic capability that wherever I went, I was dogged by these people. Whether I went to South America, went to the Caribbean, whether I went to Europe, there they were. I'm the worst person in the world, the new Hitler. <laughs> and Henry Louis Skip the Truth Gates was brought up from Duke University in 1991 to be the counterweight to this Jeffries, who was the biggest thing in 1991 and the worst thing in that. When I went up to Harvard to speak, uh, the students there, led by this uh, beautiful brother, this Muslim brother, invited me up to speak. February the 5th, I went up to speak at Harvard. He was the new head of the Harvard Black Studies Program. 1,400 okay. people was in the, in, the, in the hall where Malcolm spoke 30 years before. Okay. Skip Gates wasn't there. Mm. He did not want to hear this truth that was presented. And I said the theme was it's not about anti-Semitism. It's about anti-Kemitism, about the ability to deal with the Nile Valley. And I was there with my brother standing next to me, this light-skinned, bald-headed dude who's a master martial artist who was there, handing me the books and the images and ready to give his life for me. Right. Louis Gates is a friend of mine. He okay. was on my wife's dissertation committee at Yale University. If he saw me today, he'd give me a big hug. But he has been... You talk about uh, this uh, basketball player, Dwight Howard, selling out. He's the richest black professor ever because he's paid $30,000 to speak, to tell this lie, to twist our history, to put enough of the truth in there so we say, wow, this is what we did. But then he brings on the white side. Okay. This is a, a brother who calls himself an intellectual entrepreneur. He's mastered the knack of getting white folks to pay for him. He, and so look at what he's done. He's taken our history. I have a book. I'm looking at it right now. He, he produced a book on the wonders of the African world. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was financed. But he opens the book by saying, I have taught courses in African history, but I am not a professor of African history. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. Say that again. Yes. Okay. Say that again, Dr. Jeffrey. It says, I have taught courses in African literature, but I am not a professor of African history. And then he, and he, he takes the whole book of several hundred pages to try to destroy the history that Dr. Shep... Uh, check out the Diop developed that Dr. Uh, um, in Washington, uh, beautiful Dr. Chancellor Williams developed, Dr. Ben, Dr. Clark. He never mentions any of them. No, he doesn't. A example of a Negro financed, supported, and kept in place by white power who's taken this explosion of information about who and what we are, and he's twisting it and turning it. Even when he does that roots thing of taking the families back, he takes you back to a white ancestor. Yes, he does. Thank Everything you. he does needs to be analyzed. And I like your critique. Thank you for your call. Thank you for your call. Listen, sir. Are you there? Go ahead. Go, you wind went, it up. You went, listen, you said you spoke in the halls of Harvard, February the 5th. I like that. That's my birthday. Go, go on <laughs> on the YouTube. Okay. February the 5th is, okay, YouTube, 1992. Students all over the world invited me to come to, I went to 300 universities and colleges around the world. 1992 uh, Harvard University, correct? 1992 Harvard University. Go on YouTube 
and it's the Jeffries presentation at Harvard. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your call. The outside. Peace, and I brother. was all buffed up, looking like I was a, a muscle man, but I was wearing one of my biggest bulletproof vests. <laughs> I got four bulletproof vests, but that has not stopped me from going everywhere around the world with this truth. And so Skip is the epitome of turning this truth around in the wrong direction. And, excuse me, he does some good work. But when you understand what is behind it, you understand he is a perfect example of taking a black, talented person and then getting him seduced with the whiteness of, of the European world, with the white wives and everything else. And then when he went into this study of the DNA, he had was on his program when he started with this TV thing, and he was talking to his mother and father, and he was saying, Mother and father, Daddy and Mom, I got some news for you. That white man that we thought was a part of our family, he's not our family. His mother and father looked at him and said, we don't care what you've discovered. He was a part of us. That's our family. Now, that you can see in his programming. But also later when he got into the serious DNA studies and he comes into the Harvard seminar where he's teaching and he throws the information down on the table. He starts dancing around and he says, this is my DNA and I'm 60% white. This is all on TV. This is all for the world to see. This is a brother who hates his African self and doesn't consider him African. So do a contrast. Go on the Internet and get some of the Jeffries presentations and then get his presentations. He wants to turn Alex Haley's story around. Alex Haley's family refused to take the test. He wants to be able to show that Alex Haley's family is not related to uh, Kunta Kenti in the Gambia. He might be able to show that, but that doesn't take away from what Alex Haley did. Alex Haley linked us back to Africa to some village. Whether he's the actual blood of Kunta Kenti or not is insignificant. Okay. The significant thing is that we come from deep African roots that go all the way back to the beginning of time. But Dr. he's Jeffrey. willing to have a sensationalized story that Kunta Kenti and Alex don't have blood ties. So, you know, this brother's serious. He's on a mission, but I'm on a mission, too. And I'm running that's what, neck and neck with him. That, that's why a lot of uh, people refer to him as Henry Jewish Gates. I mean, <laughs> don't, don't put it in the Jewish thing, because, see, that causes them to get more riled up, and that takes other white folks off the hook. Uh -huh. The Jewish community is using him, but so are other white folks using him. Because none of them can accept the African origin of humankind. Okay. Millions of years ago, the African evolution of society a couple hundred thousand years ago, and the African cradle of civilization in the Nile Valley 10,000 years ago. None of them can accept it. The Jews, the, the, the Romans, the Italians, even our Arab brothers can't accept it. Because their culture. I wouldn't call them brothers, but I hear you. I spoke in a, in, a, in a secondary position. Dr. Jeffries, I have a question from one of our Facebook uh, followers. He wants me to ask this, and this could be uh, correlated with uh, what our caller, Brother Joe, was talking about. Jack Johnson he wants to know why so many African sisters are choosing to mate and marry the European male when we know that the European male is the source of all our problems, all the major problems in the universe. Well, I think there's more 
African-American men marrying European women than are the women marrying, African-American women marrying European men. I think the Jack Johnson story is a black man who white women loved. And so he was ready to take it and flaunt it in their face. And they were ready to do anything they could. They passed the Man Act, which was riding with a, a white woman across a state boundary. That was a crime. So they actually created legislation against him. But it was the black man using white women and, and throwing in a... But now there is, when people are successful, they link up with money. And so uh, it's not surprising to see that black women are also in relationship to white men. Our whole culture says in order to be right, you've got to be white. <laughs> Our women have their natural hair that God gave them, that curly hair that sometimes they call it uh, a double uh, kink, etc. But our women are paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to get some hair from Asia in order to have some flowing hair down their back. So the culture has deformed our value system. Our children grow up, and they want the white doll. They don't want the black doll. My wife helped develop the black doll with my buddy in, out of Washington, D.C., Mel Whitfield. Beautiful doll, inspired by uh, the African culture that my wife is very familiar with. But, and most of the black children that we do get the doll to, they appreciate it. But in general, white, the value system that transfers to our young people is to be white is what you need to be. So we've got to change that. That's not something that's going to happen overnight. But with the truth of who and what we are and, and what we've done, even under slavery, is an extraordinary uh, phenomenon. But you can't think that slavery is over. Slavery is still in effect. In fact, I have a book in my hand called Slavery by Another Name. This is written by a white scholar in which he says that the re-enslavement of black Americans from the Civil War to World War II is in effect. Douglas Blackman. <coughs> and he has pointed out that they may have changed the game and said that we had rights and whatnot, but then when it came to implementation, they snatched those rights from us. And then we had to go back again and fight. So they've kept us at the survival level of fighting and we'll continue to do that, but we have to move as we go into the future into the development level of having our own economic dynamic. We can produce money in the white system, but take enough of that money so you can start building your own. Having our own political dynamic. We are American citizens whether we like it or not. And so we've got to function in this uh, system. But economics and politics go together. So we need a black political dimension to our politics, unapologetically, as Malcolm said, raising and producing your money unapologetically. But unfortunately, we're in the middle of a capitalist system. There's no other system. The system of socialism and communism that we thought was available as an alternative has also been seduced by the capitalist system. The biggest capitalist nation, communist nation in the history of the world is now the biggest capitalist nation in the history of the world, and that is China. But the Chinese are figuring out how can they come onto the world stage with power, controlling their economics, controlling their politics, and controlling their culture. So they have adopted the economics of capitalism. They're the biggest capitalist nation in the history of the world. In 20 or 30 years, they're the biggest 
economic revolution ever occurring under history. And that's because capitalists said, we're going to invest in China. We're going to put trillions of dollars in China because we want that market of virtual slave labor, and we're going to work it. So you have a capitalist China run by a communist political dimension of China, Mao Zedong's political dimension, and you have the culture that tells the Chinese that we don't come out of white folks. We, are the, we have a mandate from heaven. We're the original people. So the Chinese now have put together economics. They're the honorary capitalists of the world. Politics, they're using Mao Zedong's politics to manage the economics. Nobody says to China, you need to have a democracy. They want that Chinese market. They're not going to put no pressure on China. You can beat up your people, murder your people, do anything you want. Just let us have a bit of your market. And just flood our markets with cheap goods so we can create billionaires selling garbage like the Walmart people and all the rest. This thing is deep. And culture, the Chinese are not looking up to white culture. They've always had a deep cultural tradition that gave them the, the strength to see China as, as the original folks. But now the explosive information has established that the real original folks are us. But we've got to figure out how can we make it a part of the culture. We want to be white folks. Honorary white folks, that's what the Chinese are, the Japanese are, that's what uh, uh, the Arabs are, they got money. The honorary white folks, the Indians, uh, honorary white folks. And that's what we, we strive for, because there's no other alternative. But the other alternative is develop an African world. This is the period of what I call pan-Africanism and the African Renaissance. It's all moving in that direction. On the global community, African peoples are coming together. We have the richest continent, we're the most creative people. But we don't have the mind to go with that. We've got to develop the mind of African develop greatness to help us move out of this uh, survival culture that we're in and circumstances that we're in. But, so I'm a, I look at it positive. I've seen what we have come from. And when I was having trouble, after I was with Alex Haley, on the book routes, I had a half a million dollar grant to support him. And then when the movie came out, uh, when they were put, uh, shooting it in 1976, eventually came out in January 77, February 77, Alex asked me to come down to be his consultant. So for ten, two weeks, I was a consultant on the movie routes, trying to change things around. Finally, white folks sat me down for lunch and said, Dr. Evers, we're glad you're here, but we want you to know we bought the rights to the book roots. We're under no obligation to maintain the integrity of the book. And we certainly don't have to deal with the truth of African history. This is good white folks sitting me down telling me we can do anything we want with your history. I looked at these folks. I wanted to throw up. These were not Ku Klux Klan. These were not rednecks. These were intelligent white folks saying that we can do anything we want with your history. I stayed there for another few days. After a period of time, I said, I got to get out of here. I was thrown off of my psychic center. No Ph.D. from Columbia University, no master's from Columbia, no studying in Europe in French at the University of Lausanne, no honor graduate from Lafayette College. None of that whiteness that I had in my education could, could pull me back to a, a balanced thing. Spirit said, make a pilgrimage to your grandfather's grave. You're in Georgia. I know nothing about my grandfather in Georgia, my father's father. He had died early on. My father didn't know him. My father was four when he died. So I called Aunt Bessie. I said, Aunt Bessie, where do we come from? She said, we come from Georgia. I said, Aunt Bessie, nobody comes from... We come, she said, we come from Ohio. I said, Aunt Bessie, nobody comes from Ohio. We come up out of Georgia. Where is your father buried? Where is my grandfather buried? 
and she got my drift. And she said, well, when we came up out of Georgia to Ohio, your grandfather is buried in Midway Church Cemetery, Jasper County, Kelly, Georgia. And with that, Spirit said, go to the Savannah Archives and look for him. He came up out of the census data. For the first time, I'm seeing Jesse Jeffries. Then I said, I still wasn't whole. I said, I got to go meet him. I got to go see and feel him. So I flew out of uh, Savannah to Atlanta, rented a car, and went down to Kelly, Georgia, near Monticello. And it got dark. I got scared because I'm by myself in rural Georgia. I was worried about snakes. I should have been worried about, that's a city boy's uh, lack of understanding. I should have been worried about ticks. I turned on the lights of the car. There was a church. The church was open. I went into that church and, and, and felt my ancestors. I turned the lights of the car, and I went into the cemetery. And the tallest tombstone in the cemetery, up to above my chest, almost as tall as me, was a obelisk, a Tekken, the symbol of resurrection and rebirth. The tallest tombstone in that cemetery was my grandfather. And as Bible statistics, Jesse Jeffries born August the 10th, 1868, and died July the 14th. 1917. I didn't know that he was murdered by the Klan. I learned that later. But he had 50 years to do what he needed to do, and I'm here because of him. He was a leader. The pillars of masonry were on his tombstone. He was a leader of that community. They burned down the Masonic Lodge and eventually murdered him. They built their own homes. They had their own businesses. They had their own schools. That turned me around. And I said in that graveyard, that there is no way in hell anything is going to stop me from fighting for African people and for this truth that we stand for. A grandfather that I did not know, that my father really didn't know because he was killed when he was four and they moved into, uh, into Ohio. That grandfather is in me. He was in my father and he is in me and he speaks to me. And one of the reasons why I stand so strong and there's no way that anybody in hell is going to turn me around is because... That truth stands, and that truth is real. A Tekken, a symbol of resurrection and rebirth, was my grandfather's tomb in Georgia. The schoolhouse that he built is in the shadow of his grave. And out of that school came outstanding black people who have gone on to great things, including the Bronners, uh, the Atlanta Bronners brothers and whatnot, come out of that. That's part of our family. It's amazing. Here I'm thinking that we did great things in my day, they did fantastic things coming from a system of hate and death and destruction which still existed, still exists today and existed in its purest form when they were uh, so-called free. So I want to understand why I stand like I stand and why I, ain't nothing going to turn me around. It's a spiritual thing. And we need to control the understanding of spirit for our people. That will help us create another consciousness. Dr. Jeffries, you, um, in our conversation uh off the air, you told me yesterday that you um, was involved in uh, meetings at the UN with uh, several mayors from our diaspora uh, in South America uh, on the con- from the continent uh, to talk about some type of economic relationship between black folk. I think that that's because uh, Ralph was asking about pathways to the future. Right. I think that that is a path, a definite pathway for our future is to establish some type of economic footing for our people opposed to 
using the banner of the United States. Because heretofore, our people uh, 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 are uh, allowing black elected officials to try to get things for them under the banner of the United States. And all of the businesses, all of the economic opportunities come in and are divided among white folks. And black folks get no business opportunities and, 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 and no relationships. I think the meeting that you were involved in yesterday with uh, black mayors from the diaspora talking about building economic relationship between other black folks is an excellent pathway. That's something that you won't hear about on the 6 o'clock news or on CNN because they don't want black folks to hear about that. But uh, if you can, give our listening audience just a, some type of little tidbits of what was discussed or what went on between some of the mayors of, of, of diaspora where our people are, are scattered. Well, certainly um, uh, the activity that we had at the United Nations uh, yesterday was um, encouraging and uh, really lifted my spirits. Um, and our people need to know about it. They need to know about it because the other people know about it. The, our enemies know about it. Okay. Who, who, who don't wish us well know about it. And uh, But... There is a force in history that I was trying to describe with my grandfather of African people coming out of the most dehumanizing process ever put together in the history of the world. And it's changed and transformed itself. So now it's into high technological dimensions where they're using all kinds of images in this high-tech system to keep us under mind control. But in spite of all that, the African is busting forth, and the African global family is formulating its own way of, of connecting and being a part of the world. So what has happened is a 100-year phenomena. Uh, beginning uh, in the 1800s, when that's the date, 1900, when the triumph of white supremacy was supreme. The last black uh, elected official from the Reconstruction, White, from North Carolina, lost his seat. So now the whole Congress, which had many black people at one point after the Civil War, now was white. Uh, white people were dominating around the world. They were going into the Congo. King Leopold was given a Congo, one of the largest pieces of real estate in the world, as large as all of Western Europe. It was his private preserve, the Congo. And also... The Europeans were going in other parts of the world, the Germans into southwest Africa, destroying the Herero and the Habombo people. And, of course, the French were trying to uh, colonize. Uh, after the Berlin Conference of 1884-85, the Europeans at 1900 were sending in their armies, and the armies were, many of them, black auxiliary, auxiliaries or mulatto auxiliaries to conquer African nations. The Ashanti fell in uh, their, their war of 1900. So it looked dim for African peoples. But in the dimness and in the disaster came the birth of a new consciousness. And the consciousness was that there is an African global family. And no matter where we are, whether we're in the Caribbean, Brazil, whether we're in America, uh, whether we're in Europe, we're an African family that has a historic relationship. 
And so we've been able to build on that. Booker T. Washington said, put your buckets down where you are, build. And that was in 19, he built the Tuskegee uh, machine. W.E.B. Du Bois said, we, we need leadership. Develop a talented tent. And, and that talented tent should be committed to you and not just to the capitalist system. And then here comes from the Caribbean, Marcus Garvey, coming in with the consciousness that we're a global family. He wanted to link up with Booker T. And eventually he found a fertile ground in these United States because black men by the millions had fought in World War II. Africans had fought to help the British. Africans had fought to help the French. The French offered to take the American blacks. If, a, if white America didn't feel that the blacks should fight in their army, they said, give us so. Hundreds of thousands of black fought in World War II. They, many of them fought under the French uniform and French regimental formation. And when the victory parade took place in 1919 or 1918, whenever it took place up uh, Fifth Avenue in New York, the black men led the parade. The black soldiers led the parade. And their regiments were given the Croix de Guerre, the war cross, by the French. They didn't stop at 110th Street when the parade stopped. They marched on into Harlem. So there was a consciousness rising. At the time that my grandfather was murdered, there was a growing black consciousness. In fact, in 1919, you had 25 so-called race riots. Black people were opposing uh, oppression. And so into the 20s, you had the collapse of the European economic system. And so black consciousness, the black uh, consciousness began to emerge. You had Ethiopia under attack, and black people supported Ethiopia. But after World War II, Black men coming back from World War II decided there's going to be another ball game, and they had a conference in Manchester, England, 1945, called the Fifth Pan-African Conference. And black people, including Du Bois, who was a senior member of the group, the Garvey family was there, and Krumah was there as a young uh, uh, person who had been educated in America. Now he was uh, involved in this new awakening, Azikwe of Nigeria. Jomo Kenyatta was there. Uh, uh, all of Padmore from Trinidad was there. Ross McConnell from Guyana. There was a host of black people meeting to map out a new world. Since the European world had collapsed for the second time within the last 30 years, Africans said, this is the time to put our system together. So they began to put together plans for liberation struggles and throwing off colonialism. And so they began, they went home to their countries and organized themselves. At the time of the Ethiopian attack by the Italians in 1935, 36, 37, there were three free African nations, Ethiopia, Liberia, Wotuda, and uh, uh, Morocco. And, but after 1945, they began the liberation struggles. They went back home. And then you, by the 1950s, you saw a movement, the Mau Mau movement. Uh, Africans want their land back and willing to die for it, organizing their liberation struggles. You saw a movement in, in West Africa with the Nigerians and the Ghanaians and others uh, forming their liberation struggles and finally becoming independent in the 1950s. 1952. Gamal Nasser led the freedom of Egypt for the first time. Black men ruled in Egypt in 2,000 years. 1953, Mossadegh uh, was overthrown in Iran because he was saying we need to control oil. 1954, the, the Vietnamese, Dinh Bien Phu, beat the French. 1955, you had the Bandung Conference 
where free African nations met with free Asian nations to plan a way forward. And our great minister, the Reverend Adam Clayton Powell, went there to represent black folk. 1956, Sudan becomes independent. 1957, Ghana becomes independent. 1958, Guinea becomes independent. 1959, Cuba becomes independent. 1960, a dozen free African nations in the French and English. Nigeria becomes independent. 1961-62, East Africa becomes independent. The West Indian nations become independent. 1963, they form a, a unity of the, called the Organization of African Unity, the OAU. 50, 30 plus African nations form a unity and say we can continue to free, try to fight the liberation struggles to free Southern Africa. So by 1974, the Portuguese colonies collapsed. By 1980s, Zimbabwe is free. 1990s, South Africa and Namibia are free. In the meantime, in the 1950s, you had the, the black power uh, uh, movement in, in this country. In 1960, it hit the students. 1965, we organized it, had a Black Power Conference in Newark, New Jersey, 67, I was there. Black Power Conference in, in Philadelphia, 1968. And then that Black Power Conference transformed into the Congress of African Peoples. By 1972, we were meeting in Gary, Indiana. I had set up the Black Studies Department in San Jose. I came from California, and I went to Gary, Indiana. And at that point, I was making a move from California back to New York, and a growing consciousness was taking place. We went to the Manding Conference with Dr. Clark in 1972. We decided that conferences on Africa, the next one, should be in Africa, not in Europe. So we began planning from 73. By 1976, we had the Yorba Civilization Conference. The next one was in Africa. We helped organize it. So I have seen the growth of African consciousness over these years, and it is phenomenal. Malcolm, in 1965-64, said if the Africans are going to organize themselves into a union, we need to get black folks to organize themselves in America, in the, in the West Indies. And so he formed the OAAU, the Organization of Afro-American Unity. So this movement, politically, this movement in the communities, this movement, in the institutions of higher education has coalesced now. Last year was the 50th anniversary of the Organization of African Unity. They have now formed the African Union. It's now 54 to 55 nations. And they have said we need to look back over the last 50 years and see what we did right and see what we did wrong and see how we can find uh, a heightening process to push us further. This year, 20. 20, May 2013 uh, to May 2014 is the turnaround year. This year, the theme is Pan-Africanism and the African Renaissance. Pan-African and the African Renaissance, the rebirth of African peoples. And so this process that you saw at the UN is a continuation of this. A few years ago, I was introduced to the black mayors. They have organized 3,000 black mayors. I held up a chart showing the 20 top African cities. I said, we've organized the black mayors. You need to relate to these African cities. And the next year they did. And every year after that, there's been a link between the black mayors in America, the thousands of them, and African cities. People actually sitting down, planning water systems, uh, transportation systems, waste management systems, the best practices that can be used to help develop our urban areas. This dynamic is going on. They met last year in Colombia. They went to Cali, and they went to Cartagena, and they had the black mayors meeting with the Latin American mayors, 
and with the Brazilian mayors. And I was with them uh, a year or so ago in Nigeria when these uh, world, the world mayors met. The next meeting of the world mayors is going to be in Abidjan in December. And so we'll be meeting with leaders from West Africa in the next few days, mapping out that activity that's going to take place. These are, are mayors of Tuskegee, for example, was involved. Uh, the mayors of even our northern cities was involved. So there's activity. People are not sitting down. People are trying to pull together strategic linkages. So in Colombia, South America, where you have 15%, 20% of the population in Colombia is black. Many of it's isolated. But we were with a woman who is uh, the deputy. She's the mayor of one of the uh, cities. There's another one who is a deputy in the government. We were with the uh, the vice mayor or the mayor of of uh, uh, in Brazil. One of their great cities is Salvador in Bahia. These were the people that were there mapping out how can we pull together. And there were no white folks there. It was all black people. And uh, so there's a movement. We can't see it, uh, but it's occurring. I'm telling you, and in Colombia, when they met, I couldn't go because I had lost my passport or it had been stolen, and I couldn't get another one in time. But they formed the Global uh, Alliance of People of African Descent. And that Global Alliance of People of African Descent is, is planning these conferences and these activities. So they are developing trade relationships with each other. Brazil, which is the largest black nation outside of the African continent, population-wise, and in size, it's as large as it's larger than any of the particular uh, uh, black nations. But Brazil, when I went to Ethiopia last year for the celebration of this 50th anniversary, the uh, vice president of Brazil was in one of the key sessions, and he was saying that 10 years ago, Brazil, which has a large black population, only... 10% of the people identified, 9% of the people identified black. They took that same survey 10 years uh, after, meaning last year, and 53% of Brazilians' population identifies African. That means the whole population of black and brown people that have been divided up into 30 or 40 different races. When I went to Brazil, they had all kinds of names for if you were light, if you had thin lips, if you had straight hair, you were all in a different race. They had divided up the black population. Now the black population is seeing itself as consciously related to each other. They've got the white system in place, but the growing black population is taking its place. And so African peoples around the world are forming a global alliance. They formed what they call the BRIC. And the BRIC is, is Brazil, it's, it's Russia. Uh, it's uh, China, it's South Africa. Uh, these are another way of organizing uh, economics and politics on the world stage, and at the center of that are people of, of, of color. So there is a, a new ball game out there, but you can't see it sitting at home watching CNN. You can't see it or feel it watching these soap operas, watching these comedies and all of this ridiculousness. But I'll tell you, there is a movement and it's unstoppable. European is doing everything he can to try to stop it, but he can't stop it. I went to South Africa last year, uh, and uh, it was an extraordinary thing of thousands of us. Dr. Jeffrey, let me let me grab, because we're coming up on the end of the program. Let me grab this call. 215 Erico, what's your name? Where are you calling from? 
is about a ten old book section of Philadelphia. How are you, sir? Uh, good evening, um, uh, Brother Elliot and Reggie and Ralph. Uh, good evening to you, uh, Dr. Jeffries. How are you, yes, sir? Brother, it's a pleasure. Pleasure talking to you. Yes. Uh, I've always been fascinated by your lectures. When's the next time you'll be here in Philadelphia? To um, Well, I'll plan something soon. Uh, Dr. Malefia Asante is a close friend of mine. He had me uh, the last thing at his institute. I've been uh, the UNIA has had me there, and Buff and Cobra has had me in Philadelphia. So I, I will be in Philadelphia soon. But uh, this weekend I'll be in Washington um, because you have the Black Caucus meeting and they have a session on Africa. Uh, Congressman Karen uh, Bass has organized that all day Friday, and I got to make sure I'm there. But then I got to come back to New York because the NAACP has asked me to speak on Ferguson and Staten okay. Island, and so uh, that's important for me to be there. And, and, and we're planning to go to Ghana uh, for a eighth Pan African Conference at the end of October. Okay. And uh, before that, I'll be in Buffalo because ASCAC is having its regional meeting. And uh, so, look, uh, we'll stay in touch with uh, Brother. A booker, and then we'll we'll set up something. It, it's no problem for me to go to Philly. I can get there in an hour and a half, driving or taking the train. And another <laughs> quick question: uh, as far as economic power, uh, do you feel? Because I, I feel this in my heart. In order to acquire true economic power, particularly in this country, that a lot of African Americans have to buy into Pan Africanism, as as realizing that we have to change our mindset. Because I always felt that slavery really never ended. Physical slavery ended. In 1865, a mental slavery still carries on to the, to, you know, till this today. Yes, you're absolutely right. And psychological dependency on the white system is what has seduced us. But we're breaking a hold of that. Even mm -hmm. King, in the last of his days, he said, right. uh, "Stop buying Coca-Cola. Uh, set up your right. own, set up your own insurance company." So even King had moved away from this crass integration into white folks. That's part of the process that devastated us, because we thought if we integrated one or two blacks into whiteness, right. we had something. We let the whole black uh, system uh, uh, be destroyed. We, we integrated a few of our students into white schools, and then we didn't maintain the black schools. We didn't maintain the black teachers. Right. We integrated into the white economy in a greater dimension, and we let the black economy go. The Bronner brothers have maintained their stake in black hair care. But Europeans yeah. are doing our hair now. Europeans right. have... And so we've got to be able to unapologetically circulate money within our own community. Right. Every right. group does that. You don't have to apologize for that. That's what you do. And so right. hopefully new consciousness is uh, emerging, right. in which we will begin to circulate the dollar within the black community five, right. ten, or fifteen, or twenty times. Within the Jewish community, it circulates fifteen or twenty-five times. Within the Asian community, it circulates. So we've got to develop unapologetically circulating uh, the wealth of black folk within the black community and then integrating with ourselves first and foremost and then being able to integrate with others. Okay. Thank and you. Oh, Great. Do you consider Patrice Lumumba one of the original uh, fathers of Pan-Africanism? Uh, no. He comes in as a Johnny-come-lately. Oh, really? And Yes, that's why I say, take, brother, take my number so we can talk. Two zero one. Hold on, hold on. Wait a minute, let me get. Yeah, because I always, you know, I thought he was one of the originators of Pan Africanism. Oh no, no, he was a child, 
and the person who was tutoring him was Kwame Nkrumah. Oh, Kwame okay. Nkrumah, Kwame Nkrumah was tutored by others like W.E.B. Du Bois and inspired oh. Scarvey. So Patrice Lumumba had a vision that his mm. nation, which was as large as Western Union, should be free and it mm. should be serving its people. But he didn't have the capability of doing mm. it. He had the vision, and so he stands with the greats. But in order to carry out something, you can have a vision and a plan. Mm. If you don't have the capabilities, it ain't going to happen. That's why I say we have to have systems understanding. Systems mm. mean you have to understand what the economic capability is. Mm. And that economic capability is linked to your political capability. And the cultural capability tells you what type of economics to have and who to do your political development with. So we are moving in that direction. Lumumba mm. stands as someone who could voice and articulate the need for it. But mm. there's no way in hell he could have had the capability of bringing the Congo together in any Pan-African way, simply because there were only 12 to 15 educated Congolese, and all mm. of them were educated to be ministers of the cloth, of the gospel, like he was. Mm. But with the tutoring of Nkrumah, he began to see there's another way. Mm. And the Congo will eventually, because of its wealth, mm. become a great part of the African nation. But the Congo is divided into ethnic groups, and that's the mm. mind that rules the Congo and most of Africa. Okay. We have to begin to have these ethnic groups see themselves as one African family mm. from diverse ethnic backgrounds. Mm. So that's right. why what we're doing is so powerful, and it is the key. Mm. that I don't see a conflict with a brother that comes from South Carolina or Georgia, even though I come mm. from New Jersey. Right. Uh, I don't see a difference between the brothers that come from the different islands of the Caribbean or Brazil. We're mm -hmm. one global family. And mm -hmm. that's what we were meeting on mm -hmm. yesterday at the U.N. with people from around the African world seeing each other as family. It right. was magical. And when I go to these great meetings, like in South Africa last year, when 2,000 of us were meeting and, right. and, and, and meeting that we are a global African family. So... The Cubans sent a delegation. Uh, the people from the parts of Europe, from Amsterdam, sent a delegation. Okay. So this is the powerful force that everything is being done to neutralize it and to turn it around. And so uh, uh, President Obama doesn't understand fully what is happening. He's part of the American system, and mm -hmm. you can't fault him. That's the only game in town for him. But well, well, the being developed uh, the next 50 Tim, years. Tim, I want to... Has said we need to project the next 50 years. Where do we need to go? Right. And that's what is happening. Tim, right. I want to thank you for your call. I want to try to grab one more call before we end the program. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. 215 Area Code, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Yeah, uh, this is Mo. How are you, Mo? I'm doing fine. I have a question for uh, Dr. Jeffries, right? Yes, brother, hold you one minute. Let me put the phone number out there. Anybody that wants to contact me, like the brother who just uh, asked the question, 201-837-1355. 201-837-1355. I'll be glad to talk to anybody, talk to their organizations, hook them up with other people like myself. Go ahead, brother. Yeah. My question is concerning uh, uh, Malcolm. Um, he, when, when Spike Lee never showed us in the movie, like, they had him over in Africa, and it had him like he was just over there sightseeing. But Malcolm was studying over there organizing and he was getting the backing of African leaders to back his issue of in the UN about making an issue of black people on the human rights. And one man in particular was a man by name name of Pierre Pinter. And I read in one book that he was killed the day after Malcolm got killed. And it was about four or five other African leaders Malcolm was scheduled to meet with 
in March of 1965, and all these men mysteriously wound up getting killed. Now, do you know anything about that, or have you ever heard anything about that? These men who was uh, scheduled to meet with Malcolm and was assassinated. Um, I was in and out of Africa during that period of time. I first went '61, then '62 to Senegal, '63 to Guinea, '64. I was based in in Ghana. 64, I was also in the Congo. 65, 66, I went to live in Africa for two years. So I lived that period of time. I'm now trying to uh, do what you're saying. Look at that issue. They were, Europeans were planning coups and the destruction of all kinds of leadership. The, the Algerian uh, uh, rebellion and whatnot, all that was taking place. So yes, uh, the European world was trying to destroy black leadership just as they, in America, just as they were trying to destroy it around the world. And the French and the English and all of them were coordinating their efforts. Lumumba was not taken out by one country. There was an agreement with America, French, and Belgium, uh, as well as England, that Lumumba had to go because he represented a symbol of struggle uh, that they didn't want the Africans to have. But we have been growing in our consciousness, and we have to find the means of developing the type of unity we need. If the African Union of the 50-plus African nations says, take these next 50 years from 2014 to 2063 and map out a plan for Africa, if you don't plan, you plan to fail. One of our great brothers, Dr. Amos uh, Wilson, uh, up from Mississippi, educated at Mo House and then in the Jesuit system here in New York, but he had a, an enormous African mind. He produced a blueprint for black power. Anything by Amos Wilson, get a hold of. And then that'll help you understand these things. If one black man could produce a blueprint for black power, my challenge to the African leaders when I've had a chance to meet with them is that if one black man, and I'm holding up Amos Wilson's book in Senegal when we had a meeting of the, of the world leaders, if this one black man could produce this book, can you imagine if we put our think tanks together, our best African minds, the volumes of pan-Africanism, the blueprint for pan-Africanism that we uh, can produce. And that's where I'm going. I'm pushing African leaders and others to come up with the, the, the formula to go down into our villages. The last thing the mayor of Ghana yesterday was talking about, don't forget the poor people. Our cities are, are budgeting with people coming in from the villages, so we've got to have a plan on how to deal with these populations. Our cities are now 10 and 15 million. Uh, Cairo is 20 million. Lagos is almost is 20 million. So we got to have plans. How can we manage these systems? So there is a growing African consciousness. There's a growing African understanding. There's a growing African capability. There's a growing unity movement taking place. There's nothing we can do to stop it. There's nothing the other system can do to stop it except to disrail it for a period of time. But it will be the future of African peoples. Okay. No. Dr. Jeffrey, can you go give your, your phone number again? I was trying to, I'm visually pinned. I want to uh, write it down again. I'm in New Jersey. Uh, Brother Booker has the phone numbers. I'm in New okay. Jersey, uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. 201-837-1355. Okay. Again, okay. Thank you, 201-837-1355. Okay. And call me at any time. Thank you for your call, okay. Brother Mo. All right. All right. Okay. Dr. Jeffries? Yes, brother. I want to thank you for being with us this evening. And and try to get me a copy of the tape if it's possible. I, I will do that, and uh, I'll be in touch with you anyway because uh, the uh, the uh, lady that you wanted me to contact, I want to follow up uh, with that. So, okay. So I'll be in touch with you anyway. 
Very good. But All I, right. I want to thank you for your work, Dr. Jeffries, and, and, and the struggle no, continues. It's a, it's a mission. It, it's a mission that I can't turn away from, and I'm going to die with and come up out of the grave uh, again with it. All right now, brother. Thank you for the opportunity to deal with your radio audience. Peace, and we'll, be, we'll take a brief break. We'll wind up the program. We'll be right back. Brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley antiquity to the present our people need to develop a new paradigm it's time for an awakening sundays 7 p.m with your host welcome back it's time for an awakening and uh interesting discussion this evening with dr leonard jeffries he's uh he's been out here on the forefront of the struggle for over 50 years and his work speaks for itself and it still continues but uh, so does ours. If we want these things to change, I think we have to be an active part in changing our own paradigm. We have to develop new strategies to move our people forward. We can't depend on these politicians because they don't have our best interests at heart. We need to develop new strategies, uh, I repeat, to move our people forward. We can do this. We can do it. If we don't, who will? I want to thank everybody for joining us for the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back next week, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Are you watching your children playing after school? They seem to be so unaware of, I know, I know.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.